human beings love one thing above all else, and that's other human beings. If they can find someone that they relate to, that they see themselves in, that they admire, that's their favorite person on the face of the earth, and they love spending time with them. So when that happens, you know, when you have a platform that enables that parasocial relationship, then it becomes really easy for one of those individuals to tell the other individual, hey, I've, I've been using this product or I've been playing this game or using this service. You should check it out. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Craft Podcast. Today, I'm really excited uh, with our guest. He's Tips, who is a chief operating officer for, for OTK. Welcome, Tips. Nice to be here, John. Appreciate you inviting me. So you have a really interesting background. T tell us about um, your craft. What do you think your craft, or how would you define your craft? Um, you know, at this point, I uh, <laughs> kind of lost it along the way. But I started off... Um, you know, working uh, in the construction industry, come from a family of contractors, a couple generations down. So got my engineering license, got my contractor's license. And from when I graduated college, spent seven years working in the construction field as a project manager and operations manager, worked both in the field and in the office, backend estimating, um, and eventually found myself working internationally in the GCC, uh, consulting on projects all over the Middle East, Saudi, Qatar, the UAE, um, and you know, helping contractors improve their document management systems, their workflows, RFI processing, shop drawing reviews, et cetera. So kind of that heavy engineering background um, is really where I, where I kind of got started until 2017, I believe, when Classic WoW was announced at, at BlizzCon. Uh, Classic WoW was a game that, that I grew up playing, absolutely loved. And I've had my eye on the content creation field for a long time. I just never had the guts to really pursue it just because it was such a big risk. Um, but when Classic WoW was announced, I decided, you know what? It's now or never. I love this game. I'm passionate about it. I'd love to make content about it. And so I started a YouTube channel. And four years later, running OTK pretty much on the back end. <laughs> that, that's amazing. So, you know, I'm just looking through your bio. Can you talk more about the classic Duelers League? Like, wh why did you come up with that format? Because I would say in the grand scheme of competitive gaming or tournaments, um, I know that WoW has always had, like, a history with, like, Arena, but, well, like, why did you decide? What, was CDL focused on, like, a... While classic, but arena. Primarily, it was actually originally focused on on classic WoW dueling, and the idea really came from, you know, a number of different places. But back in original vanilla World of Warcraft, I used to host dueling tournaments all of the time outside of the Warsong Gulch portal, which is where you could access, you know, battlegrounds. You couldn't queue from cities, at least in the beginning of vanilla. You had to actually go to the portal, which for the Horde side was the Northern Barrens. And as a result, you'd have the entire server community consolidated to this really small space waiting for their matches to pop. And so everyone was out there, you had nothing to do. So just started getting a couple of buddies. We started dueling, started putting gold down on the duels. You get more people involved. And then all of a sudden you're running, you know, 16 player tournaments, you know, just for fun. So 
starting the CDL was kind of a callback to those roots. I love organizing. I love bringing people together, putting on exciting events. Um, but I started taking it more seriously after I put on a small dueling tournament during the Classic WoW demo. When Classic WoW was announced before the beta, Blizzard put out a two or three day demo experience where I believe you could level to like level 19 in the Barrens and just experience, you know, the first few hours of gameplay. Everyone was consolidated. Everyone was in the Barrens. So just like back in the day, got a few buddies together. We started dueling. And I thought to myself, you know what, let's, let's host a tournament, see how it goes. And to my surprise, we had 10,000 people watching concurrently on Twitch. I think uh, my friend Asmongold ended up hosting the tournament as well. So all of a sudden, there was this significantly sized tournament in the World of Warcraft community, which is a very underserviced community when it comes to events. And lo and behold, it's fun to watch. And that's the beauty about dueling. You know, it's a lot easier to follow a 1v1 than it is to follow a 3v3. And I think that's really where, you know, the potential started to get recognized. Wait a minute, you know, 3v3, sometimes it's a bit difficult to follow, but 1v1, you catch all the action. You know, it's very personality centric because it's just one person versus another. And, um, and that ended up being a great experience. So I, I followed it up with a couple more tournaments. So that, that's amazing. I mean, I was just looking at, I know that Twitter isn't the, the starting date of when you started CDL, but just looking at some of your content there, I mean, it, it looks super cool. You just, you, you're like way into it. Um, I, I saw that engagement kind of started off with like one or two likes and then it got a lot more. Uh, you're wearing like a suit in front of like a green screen. It's, it's amazing. It just kind of reminds me of this thought that uh, just like consistency and committing to something and making content is, uh, you know, like not everyone can make it, but if you don't do it, you can't make it either. So it's just, uh, it's amazing that you pursued your dreams and, and you got here. So, um, so you did the CDL uh, and then what was next? Like how did, like did that naturally turn into OTK or, or it was like a separate opportunity that popped up? For sure. Well, there were a couple of steps before the CDL. So if you're all right with it, I can go back to the beginning. Please. Yeah, yeah, please do. Um, so originally I started the YouTube channel in November, 2017. My thoughts were, I'm just going to make content that I love surrounding this game that I love and kind of see where it goes. Wasn't expecting it to turn into a full-fledged career. But after a couple of videos, again, my friend Asmongold happened to pull up one of my videos on stream. He didn't know me. I didn't know him at the time. And after watching that video of mine on stream, all of a sudden my channel started to get a tremendous amount of traction. And so I started producing videos more frequently, staying up late at the office after long days in the field and, uh, and you know, steadily, slowly, but surely the channel started to grow. So as the channel started growing, a friend of mine, who's also on OTK S fan TV uh, at the time, he was streaming un unsanctioned world of Warcraft private servers. And as a result, he got banned by Blizzard and he was in a really difficult spot. Again, at the time, I didn't know him. I just knew him as a content creator, not as a friend. So lo and behold, you know, I'm making content as fans banned. I figure, you know what? Why don't we start a podcast? Let's start a podcast about Classic WoW. We both love this game. Maybe get a couple of other people involved. He says, yeah, you know what? My friend Stay Safe and I have been talking about this for a long time. Let's do it. So a couple of months into content creation, all of a sudden we're making a podcast. And at the time, no one else was really making a vanilla World of Warcraft podcast, which as a result, skyrocketed all of our platforms. 
after that, SFAN started streaming on Twitch, which, you know, kind of inspired me to stream on Twitch as well, continue growing from there. And, uh, and again, as we became more, you know, notable members in the community, that's where CDL began. So YouTube, to Classicast, to streaming, to CDL tournament organizing. And, um, and then from there, it was really just trying to gain as much industry experience as possible. What I knew going into streaming or what I was able to weigh very heavily was the fact that all entertainers have a shelf life. It doesn't matter if you're Taylor Swift or Kanye West or whoever it is, there's an invisible timer on the top of your head that's ticking down every single day. And when it hits zero, you're no longer popular. And what's incredibly dangerous about this in the content creation space and all entertainment in general, but specifically in content creation, is the more time you spend behind your computer streaming, gaming, et cetera, the less time you spend acquiring tangible skills. And eventually, if you stick to it for three, four, five, six years, and then all of a sudden there's no more future in it, you're left in a hyper-competitive job marketplace without any skills, without any experience, with a big question mark on your resume for the past five years. It's very scary. So the CDL was my way of saying, you know what? I enjoy doing what I'm doing as an entertainer, but I want to make things a little bit more professional and I want to secure my future. One day I'm going to be boring. One day people aren't going to watch me anymore. Let me take the time to develop and cultivate relationships in the industry, meet with brands, meet with organizations, meet with developers, because one day after this tournament is over, I'm sure I'm going to rub shoulders with somebody that's going to say, hey, you know what, that tips guy, he's a hard worker. You know, he did the CDL thing. It went great. We worked with him. You know, let's work, let's work with him in the future in the capacity of, of some other position. So really CDL, as much as it was a passion project for me, there was also the secondary objective of meeting cohorts in the industry and putting my foot in the industry for when, you know, that, that uh, fateful day came when I kind of hung up my content creator cleats. Um, so that was, that was one of the motivations behind it. That is such a good story. I think, um, especially me being a, you know, a gamer, a fan of streamers and esports orgs. I always think about like TSM because that's one of the first teams I, I, I rooted for. And I was thinking about like some of like the OG TSM players like the Odd One or, or Dyrus. And I think the Dy Dyrus is still around, but the Odd One, he's kind of, I mean, he's been around for, I mean, once again, there's like a timer and I think his like fame um, and his fandom has kind of decreased a bit. And uh, I have no idea what he's doing and I, and I, and I wish him the best. But I think it's super spot on for you to think about things beyond just your individual like content production. So um, on that topic, I think what's interesting is, so you are the CEO of OTK, but once again, whether it's because someone just, you know, you got lucky with someone sharing your content or not, your YouTube channel has some good videos, like you, you put effort into it. So how did you become essentially, you know, how did you get into the craft of video editing? So I had absolutely no experience whatsoever. I'm not like a tech hobbyist or anything like that. Um, webcams, you know, OBS, all that stuff completely foreign to me. I never made, you know, gaming videos growing up as a passion project. So fortunately, we live in a generation, in my opinion, or in a time where it's never been easier to succeed. It's also never been easier to fail because of the number of distractions we have. But there are so many resources 
abundant, free, you know, concise, educational, all over the internet, on your phone, et cetera, that can help you learn any skill, any trade. Uh, so when it came to video editing, I opened up YouTube. How do I edit videos? What software should I use? You know, what should my PC specs be? What camera should I use? I just went through it video after video after video, learned what OBS was, learned how to, you know, use an Elgato cam link, how to plug in your camera, your DSLR and all that stuff. And really just took it from there one step at a time. Um, you don't learn it overnight. Your first video is usually your worst video. But if you stay at it, stay consistent, work hard, make some sacrifices, you know, while, while my friends were out partying, having a good time, what was I doing? I was sitting at this freaking computer trying to learn, trying to learn how to edit videos, um, which, you know, in the construction industry, it's, it's like people were question marking me all the time. Obviously, my family was like, what are you doing? What, what is this? Um, but, you know, eventually, you know, kept at it long enough and, and it started to pay off. So I think you're, once again, it was your hard work, but you're one of the successful ones. Um, but also, I think part of your philosophy, which I like, is kind of um, kind of like hedging your bets and like, you know, kind of uh, making sure you're taking care of yourself. So let's say, you know, this is a comment or, or a question probably a lot of our producers for this show have as well, which is they are, you know, starting off early in their career and they can do anything. I mean, they, they all, they're all gamers. They love gaming. Um, you know, like... What should they do? You know, we, we have one like, you know, Jimmy's in college, like uh, Josh just graduated starting uh, his first job and Austin's later into his career. But like for different stages of, of your life, like what, 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 what can you do to kind of uh, figure out what's gonna work out best for you? Is it like, hey, doing some video editing here, uh, maybe trying to do some tournament organizing there. Uh, what are some paths maybe once again, you have kind of like a successful path, but what are some maybe middle of the ground uh, uh, opportunities you've seen work out for people? So I guess it fundamentally depends on your goal. What is your goal? Is your goal to start an esports organization, an influencer network? Is your goal to get into game development? Um, it kind of depends on where you want to end up. But, you know, for me, the path that, that that I kind of saw that I still think is, is widely available to, to so many people is finding underserved communities and delivering some form of value. Why did my YouTube channel grow? I'm not a great content creator. I'm not a great video editor. I had no idea what I was doing at the time, but I was really one of the few, like literally the two or three people on the entire planet that was making videos pertaining to Classic WoW guide videos, informational videos, educational videos, at a time when this massive game was returning and nobody knew much about it because it occurred when in the, in the pre-information age, you know, 2004, we didn't have all this information, the social media and stuff like that. So I saw the opportunity of making content around a game that I loved that I knew would serve the community. And Whenever I've kind of had that as my, my guiding philosophy, finding underserved communities, it's always worked out. Why did the CDL work out? Again, I'm not like a great caster, a great analyst, a great tournament organizer. These are all new skills for me at the time. But I found the opportunity to serve a community that didn't have any events going on, didn't have any tournaments going on. Um, and so no matter who put those tournaments out and others tried to do it too, usually they were pretty successful. Because again, what other content is out there serving this community? So I guess, you know, something that you don't hear too often is 
trying to find a game or a lane or something where you can put in your value immediately because there's a massive void. And I'll give you some examples. You know, Super Smash Brothers is a community that, you know, you've got just a handful of tournaments serving that community. And as a result, those tournaments are really big, really popular. The community loves them. RuneScape, another great example. It's an older game, so a lot of people overlook it, underserved community. But what happens when people come into this space and make tournaments, they're usually pretty darn successful. And the great part about it, because you're not competing with massive TOs or massive organizations, you can get away with hosting something like a $500 tournament, a $1,000 tournament, where you don't have to break your own bank as somebody who's trying to you know, come into the scene. So for all of those you know, dreamers out there, people that you know, are trying to break into gaming, my general advice would be find an, an underserved community in a particular game, in a particular esport, wherever it is, and see if you can bring some value to that community. Because you'll find that if you do, they'll be very quick to support you, especially if you do a good job and you'll make your way. So it seems like finding uh, an underserved community is a great way to start. But now that you're in your position, how do you decide what creators to hire, let's say, or recruit for OTK? Um, that's a good question. So in terms of OTK, just context of the organization, we're a talent owned and operated organization. We have seven stakeholders in the business, all of whom are, are content creators or former content creators. And so every major strategic decision, while many are brought up by me, they're made collectively as a group. Um, and we kind of rely on everyone's personal experience, wisdom, et cetera, in the field to kind of make these decisions. So basically I can't speak on behalf of, of everyone's opinion on, on what you know, criteria they look at when we bring on talent, but from an organizational standpoint, one of the common, common metrics we look at is, is this, is this someone that's, that's cool? Is this someone that's fun? Is this someone that's entertaining? Is this someone that vibes well with the group? And, uh, and it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult thing to, to really understand because it's intangible. You know, we don't really look at viewership numbers. We don't really look at, you know, your sub count. We don't look at your YouTube numbers. That's fine and dandy in some cases, but for us, that's just a means to put you on the map. And once you're on our map, once you're on our radar, it's really about who you are as a person. Can I see myself, you know, rolling up with you, going to hang out IRL, chilling at a barbecue, shooting the shit. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of the sentiment from the whole gang is, can we bring on people that are interesting and fun to be around? Because the way content is nowadays, you know, there's, there's the individual content creator, but really things have shifted more into group content. And usually when group content is natural, it's authentic, it's just a couple of people hanging around having a good time, usually it's well-received. That's such a good point because one of my follow-up questions was, you know, how do you build up talent from scratch? And the analogy I have is, you know, when I used to work at Amazon, we were making games that frankly no one has heard of. It's like a brand new game, new IP. Um, and we were always thinking about like, how do we, if we have like a, some distribution and in this case it was Twitch, you know, how, could we leverage Twitch to kind of like key make us? By the way, Twitch said no, because they don't want to key make anybody, or at least not for Amazon. So, um, but for you guys, do you, do you find success in, um, let's say having like a bigger streamer somehow host or, or do something with a smaller streamer. And even though they're group content, 
do the quote unquote smaller streamer benefit that much more? Um, sometimes, yeah. And, and that's totally fine. I mean, I think, you know, and if I, I don't know too much about the history of, of like film or, you know, Hollywood entertainment or anything like that. But, but if I had to take a guess, I would assume that Twitch today is very similar to how Hollywood was back in the 1930s, 1940s and, and beyond Twitch content creation in general, where there's not a whole lot of rules Nobody really knows what's going on. You know, there's a lot of different formula, a lot of different meta, nothing's really set in stone. So one of the opportunities this, you know, I guess th this whimsy allows for is it allows for creators to work together with kind of no holds barred. And when you have that opportunity, you know, that rising tide raises all ships, as they say. So yeah, sure. We, we could potentially collab with somebody as OTK, who's a smaller streamer who may, might have a lot more to benefit from, from us collaborating with them than we do, or from us collaborating with them than we do with, with them. Um, but maybe one day that, that person becomes a big content creator. And maybe one day we get less popular. And so long as we kind of come into it with, you know, genuine friendship in mind and establishing a long-term relationship, then for us, their growth is our growth, whether it's directly or indirectly. Because again, you know, next time they want to do an event, we're happy to participate. It might help us out a little bit too. And, and I feel like you can do this now in this era of content creation, but perhaps in the future at some point, things get a little bit more tight, locked up, more agencies and management gets involved that you can't do this. So we try to capitalize on it while it's available. Have you, so you mentioned making a podcast earlier, uh, by chance, have you ever listened to or currently listened to the All In podcast? I can't say uh, that I have, no. Okay, okay. It's, uh, anyways, check it out later. Um, the, the reason I mentioned it is because I think it's like a business podcast, but their angle is friendship, which, once again, I'm not like a music expert, but I don't think there are that many um, podcasts built around friendship like that was the original thesis now mm. after time some co-hosts could become friends but it starts off as a business relationship anyways the reason i mentioned this is because there's like a cool thing here maybe like a theme here where i feel like you guys clearly are a business and a successful one based on some of the stats you've shown me um and, and the key to success isn't as kind of boring as some traditional uh similar tech companies where it's just about like stats and like subscribers and viewership and like getting more and more i love your philosophy around just like hey like like it's gotta be fun uh you know potential friendship involved that angle seems super cool which brings me to my next question um so th that's kind of like the, the philosophy of, of of otk which is different than other organizations how would you put a label on, on OTK versus let's say, you know, a big esports org, which have, they have streamers, but they also have like other, other divisions and teams. For sure. So, you know, in our, in our traditional like sales deck that we, that we send out to brands, we call ourselves an influencer network and production company. For us, the way we look at it is we're content creators that are as genuine as they come and we look for other content creators who are as genuine as they come that are cool to hang out with. And we take all our content creators and we put on good content. That's we're in the business of 
genuine content creators and good content. So, you know, how that differentiates us from esports org is, well, number one, we don't really have an esports team um, or an esports arm in particular. And for us, we're less focused on competitive gaming and more focused on the gaming lifestyle. And I think that's something that, you know, esports can convey, but but sometimes, you know, that that vibe, that lifestyle gets lost in the competitiveness of it. Um, for us, it's really about, you know, we're a group of friends that have been through this big journey together for the past four or five years. And, you know, now that we've gotten a little bit older, uh, hopefully a little bit wiser, although I'm not sure sometimes, um, we're kind of looking to, 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 to make our mark in the scene. And so we came together in the spirit of friendship, in the spirit of camaraderie, started an organization. And for us, it's important to radiate those roots to the audience. We're here, we're having fun, playing games together. It's a lifestyle, it's who we are. When this camera goes off, we're the same as when it's on. And, um, and for us, that kind of cultivates, in our opinion, a lot more you know, authentic of a brand, which results in a lot more of a loyal community. And you know, for us, having that community is, is really the, the start of the magic. And that's how we're able to you know, build awesome shows, build awesome content, when you have a supportive community, anything's possible. And I feel like with esports, that loyalty comes from the competition and succeeding as a team, um, which is very difficult for a lot of reasons. Um, and it's very difficult for somebody to, to kind of break into that. Versus with us, it just starts with just, just being a regular dude or a regular gal and you know, just playing games, having a good time. Awesome. Um... So since you're in the influencer slash creator world, I want to ask your opinion for about, about this term, the creator economy. It, it's like a buzzword. Do you think that is actually like, what, what does that word mean to you? Because I think one, one thing that uh, really resonated with me, like a, like a mood I'm feeling with you is uh, things seem to be like simple and direct and authentic. Like you just explain what your org does. You don't need like a 50 slides to talk about that. So what is it, creator economy? Is it just something like big companies, like you, they, they create this word to like make things more complex? What do you think? I mean, personally, I hate buzzwords. <laughs> I, I just, I'm not a fan. Uh, I, I, I don't really keep up with them too much. Um, you know, we live, we live in a very interesting age uh, you know, as it pertains to advertising. Back in the day, you know, you'd see an ad in the paper, you'd see an ad maybe on TV, uh, maybe a billboard. And, you know, that was really brand's only way of, of reaching wider audiences. And of course you have the peer to peer, which is, you know, the most powerful form of marketing. Um, nowadays with social media, with these platforms like Twitch and YouTube, uh, most strongly in my opinion on Twitch, you know, you have influencers that are able to connect with their audience on such a deep level that they become their peers. And now all of a sudden you have the most powerful form of marketing peer to peer working on a large scale, which is insane to think. So I think a lot of businesses, a lot of brands are trying to understand what's going on. You know, how are these influencers making so much money or being so effective? And so maybe they try to understand it through, you know, buzzwords and trying to define what's going on. But in my opinion, it's very simple. 
human beings love one thing above all else, and that's other human beings. If they can find someone that they relate to, that they see themselves in, that they admire, that's their favorite person on the face of the earth, and they love spending time with them. So when that happens, you know, when you have a platform that enables that parasocial relationship, then it becomes really easy for one of those individuals to tell the other individual, hey, I've, I've been using this product or I've been playing this game or using this service, you should check it out. And that person who's really invested in this relationship will be far more inclined to go and do just that, buy the product, purchase the service, play the game, and all of a sudden you've got incredible conversion rates. And, uh, and you know, I guess you can call it the creator economy, the age of the influencer, whatever it is. To me, it's really people just being connected more closely to individuals they may not have been able to get you know, connected with in the past. And it's just an extension of peer-to-peer -peer marketing just on a, on a larger scale. Once again, as I said, I think you're really good at oversimplifying fake complex topics. Um, okay, my final question to you is kind of going back to the kind of main topic of this podcast is craft. How do you know when you have become a master of your craft? And, and you know, we earlier, we mentioned kind of like building an influencer network which for you, OTK is defined in different ways than other companies. But like, what, what would you think, what is success for you and or OTK? If it's the same, maybe it's different. And how do you see your craft pertaining to that? Like, how do you know you're a master at your craft and therefore you have, you know, succeeded? So I don't think there is such thing as a master of anything. Um, life is far too short for, for us as human beings to be able to completely know the ins and outs of any subject, in my opinion, whether it's content creation, whether it's engineering, mathematics, science, anything. Um, we just don't have the capacity in our very short biological lifespans to, to really become masters. And I think even perceiving ourselves as masters or as very adept at something is, is negative because it takes away that, that drive and that incentive to grow. So for me personally, you know, I, I've been doing this for a few years now. I, I was working in the construction industry for about seven years before this. Um, I don't think I've ever mastered anything, you know, except, except maybe, you know, maybe getting out of bed in the morning. That's probably the, the closest thing I've come to master. Uh, so I don't think you can ever really know. I think we're learning every day. And even if you're able to learn everything there is to know about you know, a subject in a certain period of time, well, times are always changing. More st the industries are changing, the world is changing. So there's always gonna be more to learn. Um, what was your first question? I'm sorry, I forgot what it was. Um, I was trying to connect between, you know, once you know if you are a master of the craft, uh, how does that lead or connect to like being successful? Like what, what is personal success for you? What is OTK success? For sure. Um, personal success for me right now is, is figuring out what just turned off my monitors. Uh, there we go. All right, sweet. Um, you know, uh, 
I'm getting older every day. <laughs> I think we all are. And, you know, success is a word that from, from year to year really gets redefined in my opinion and, and my expectations for success change. I'm very blessed to be married to a wonderful woman. We had our son seven months ago. And for me, success is just making sure they're happy, having a good time, living a better life than I lived. And, um, you know, making sure we're staying close with our family, friends, trying to be the best people we can be. Um, and using whatever career it is to kind of enable that lifestyle. Um, so we're, we're, I'm a pretty simple person, you know, as it pertains to the org, my definition of success is what the guy is fulfilling, you know, my friend's expectations, my, my colleagues' expectations. If they say, hey, Tibbs, you know, we need to sell this amount of ad inventory this year. We need to hire this amount of individuals. We need to promote this amount of brands. Um, we need to host this many events. That's my metric of success. If they're happy, I'm happy at the end of the day. Very blessed to be in the position that I'm in working with wonderful people, working in an industry that everyone told me was impossible to get into, that it was a waste of time, that you're just playing games all day, all that stuff. So I'm just very happy to be here. And so long as everybody that's affected by my actions around me is happy by my actions, then that's, that's the success I need. You sound like, you know, uh, no offense to our previous or future guests, but you sound like one of our happiest guests. And I think uh, it's like a extension of your philosophy, which, which it sounds like, you, you know, you're like a lifelong learner. Um, but I would say that I do think you're clearly doing something right. And, and, and maybe it's too much to like label yourself as a master. But I think even in the brief time of known you, just a couple of hours, I think you've demonstrated that you are a, in my opinion, like a master of like self-awareness, self self-understanding, um, humility, and look, building, building an influence network and organization of creators is not easy, much less yourself. So I think mad props to uh, you and your team for, for doing all this and doing it, in my opinion, like the right way. You know, you kind of hear these terms in movies all the time where like, you know, when I watch um, you know, I watch some like the sports championships, maybe not like the regular season, but always like the playoffs and the championships. And the, people always talk about like, oh yeah, you know, they, they built this team the right way. And uh, I, I kind of get that like feeling and mood from, from, from you. So, you know, once again, thanks so much for taking your time and, and sharing uh, all these ideas. And I, I dare say wisdom with us. Honestly, thank you for having me on, Jonathan. It's just, um, you know, you mentioned it. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't uh, echo it more. I didn't build OTK. I'm just another cog in the wheel at the end of the day. Um, it's this fantastic team. You know, we've got great guys, Asman, Miz, Sfan, Nick, Rich, Schlatt. We've got our staff behind the scenes, Sinak, Christina, Peckies, Jacob, Finn, Ashley, um, you know, everybody behind the scenes. I, I forgot a couple of people, but I hope they forgive me. Um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's just, it's just when you find the right people and, you know, the goals are, are aligned and um, people don't feel like, you know, every day is a struggle or every day they could risk losing their job and just create that comfortable environment, magic things happen. 
uh, especially in the entertainment industry. If you're not comfortable in entertainment, man, you're never going to put out good content. And uh, we're very lucky in that. I think the team recognizes that. So we take it easy one day at a time. And, you know, we're fortunate to, to have arrived where we have and, and we look forward to the future. And thank you. I think I'll see Jonathan. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing me on. I really appreciate it. No, I, maybe I was going to say thank you for coming because um, uh, I think just like your, your way of life really resonates with me. And, and I have to just follow up with one more thought, which uh, probably you'll, you'll agree with this. So when I was at Riot Games, um, I forgot I was like a CEO, the president, they, they, they always said, you know, you, you can't make fun unless you're having fun. And that's why we, even today, probably, uh, you know, people who work at that studio, they could play games in the office. <laughs> they could play a lot of it. They even have their own like PC yeah. bong in there. Um, and, you know, when I moved, when I worked at other different companies, it was a completely different mood. Like people stopped working at like five or 6 PM and they went home, uh, you know, Frankly, half the people even play games, but they're working in games and, and some of them look miserable, right? It's about hitting like deadlines and milestones. And, and once again, look, it's, it's, it's great to be in this, in this position where you're not worried about that. Like you're, you're financially stable, like your, your product is doing well and you can afford to have that, um, to have that space uh, for, for creativity and peace. So I think everything you just said is a big lesson learned I had in game development as well.